Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com by St. Aloysius Church and Mother Seton Academy in Jackson, New Jersey by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, some stuff we're going to get into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. We're going to talk about the potential NFL quarterback carousel, which we're going to see the musical chairs probably go on maybe about a month or so after the Super Bowl. Now, for those that want Super Bowl discussion, I I believe in this. I believe that you take the Monday and the Tuesday after Championship Sunday and kind of absorb what it is that you're going to see in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs and the Buccaneers, of course, this year. But really, after that, the fact that there's two weeks between a championship game and a Super Bowl means there's a lot of dead time. And I think it makes a lot of sense to spend some time away from talking about the Super Bowl when at this point you're still talking about well over a week before the game is actually played this year in Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay. Well, I'm going to talk about the quarterbacks in the National Football League and how we could see a drastic amount of changes, but I'm going to make a declaration of 17 teams that will have the same quarterback next year. In a little bit, we're going to touch on the nauseating, annoying, and repetitive Hall of Fame baseball discussion, how it's the worst Hall of Fame in sports, Um, the way that it conducts itself, the way the baseball writers conduct themselves, the way this character clause is thrown out there as if you're trying to come up with every reason to not put somebody in the baseball's Hall of Fame. We'll get into that in a little bit. The Trevor Bauer market, which seemed like it could have been open to anywhere of up to about a dozen teams, seems to be zeroing in on maybe just one. And if you look at the New York Mets and the trade of Steven Matz to the Toronto Blue Jays and the fact that they're obviously working on a bunch of other things, they'd like to add a starting pitcher, a center fielder, maybe a third baseman. Maybe another relief pitcher in some sort of weird order. Maybe one of them is not that, you know, dominant or headlining of a a type of player. But that looks like that's their plan going forward. And if you came into this offseason and you thought of the advantage that the Mets had over almost 29 other teams. Now, yes, there are other teams that have some financial capabilities, and we've seen it. The Toronto Blue Jays have been very active. The San Diego Padres have been very active. Even the Chicago White Sox have solidified their team, and others have done a little bit more than could have been anticipated to this point. But the Mets, obviously, with the owner, the only owner in Major League Baseball that's not coming off of such a dramatic loss of the coronavirus in a truncated 2020 season, you figure it will be a spending spree in regards to Queens and New York and baseball in the National League. And it hasn't really happened at this point. The Francisco Lindor trade was tremendous. They added a $20 million player and a player that kind of puts them in a driver's seat in regards to extending him and keeping him a Met and maybe giving him an all-time contract. 
but they didn't get JT Realmuto. They settled for James McCann. They didn't get George Springer. They still have not addressed center field. And you look at a DJ, DJ LeMahieu type, he went back to the Yankees. So if I'm thinking what would be the Mets' best type of players to go out there and spend a bunch of money on in free agency, it would have been those three. It leads you to Trevor Bauer, who you, you look at the weakness in the Mets rotation last year, that, that was it. The Mets' starting five was horrible outside of Jacob deGrom. They've upgraded it. Marcus Stroman's coming back this year. Carlos Carrasco is acquired in the Lindor trade. Do the Mets need to make that splashy move and pay what would be probably a record contract to bring Trevor Bauer into New York to play baseball for the Mets? And I'm a little ambivalent on it. I'm honest. I'm not going crazy over it. I don't think it's a must for the New York Mets, but I do believe that they're in the appropriate position where they can get a deal done. That being said, there are seven other teams that I think could be in the mix to swoop in and land Trevor Bauer. Now, the latest that you hear is the Los Angeles Angels, who were my favorites to sign Trevor Bauer, end up kind of bowing out right now. You hear the report is as there's a 0% chance that the Angels sign Trevor Bauer. Now, stranger things have happened. I think if, if we're coming into the offseason, what team had the biggest need for a dominant number one starting pitcher? What team had the biggest need to upgrade its starting rotation to supplement the greatest player in the game of Mike Trout? It would be the Los Angeles Angels. Now, they made a couple minor additions. Jose Quintana, I think, will help them. They got Rosel Iglesias to be their closer. They got a shortstop in Jose Iglesias to replace Angelton Simmons. And I don't think they're going to be done to this point. So we'll see what ends up happening. But, uh, you know, the Angels at this moment look like they may be out. And if that's the case, the Mets are in the driver's seat if they want to make a legitimate offer. Now, I don't think the Mets are going to go out there and spend $200 million on Trevor Bauer. I'd be shocked if it was a contract like that. You've heard that the Mets were considering something on more of a shorter-term deal, and uh, Bauer and his agent, Rachel Luba, have considered all possibilities. Not saying that he's looking for a short-term deal, but that a short-term deal would not necessarily rule him out in favor of taking it. Now, would the Mets want to go one year and 36 to $40 million? I don't know if that's something Trevor Bauer is looking to take because I do think there's other there's other teams that are looking in a multi-year type of setting. But let's say the Mets were to go out there and offer four years and $35 million a season, which I think could get a deal done. Four for 140. And I look at seven other teams that I think could possibly be a fit. And we're going to start with Toronto with the Blue Jays. And I think of the Blue Jays like this, a team that seems to have this extra spending capital. I don't think they're out on anything. The Marcus Simeon signing was a little bit of a surprise to me, but uh, so totally solidifies their roster. And if they are going for it, why not go after the best pitcher that's available and can be had as a free agent? 
I wouldn't rule out the Blue Jays, but I don't put them in the driver's seat by any stretch of the imagination. Another team that I think is pretty interesting would be the Chicago White Sox. The White Sox have had a great offseason. The White Sox have already traded for Lance Lynn. They added Adam Eaton. They brought in the best closer in Major League Baseball, at least the best one that was available, and Liam Hendricks. And this is a team that was right on the verge last year of taking a stand in the American League. And I do think they're ready. Are they on the level of the Yankees? It's going to be hard to say. I think the Tampa Bay Rays to this point have taken a step back. I don't know if the Houston Astros are, have that you know pedal to the throttle. What about the Minnesota Twins? Outside of that, I think the White Sox got a very good chance this year. And if they want to you know, go for that superstar rotation, pretty similar to what we'd be assuming the New York Mets would be doing if they added Trevor Bauer, why not imagine a Chicago White Sox rotation with Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel and Lance Lynn and, oh yeah, Trevor Bauer. I mean, that would certainly be superior to any rotation in the American League when the White Sox are kind of up there to begin with without Bauer. I'll throw in a surprise because this this is something that I think would be very under the radar. And I would be I'd be shocked if it did happen. But I don't want to rule it out. I look at the Seattle Mariners and Jerry Depoto. And you probably have the most active general manager in all of Major League Baseball, one that makes the most trades, one that is always looking to make adjustments to his roster. And the reason he does this is because in his career as a general manager, whether it's the work that he did with Arizona, whether it was with the Angels or now with the Seattle Mariners, his teams have never gone out there and won anything. And if you put together that roster that was out there winning World Series, I would guess that there would be less activity. Now, Jerry Depoto, if he wants to sign Trevor Bauer to kind of anchor his rotation, I don't think him and the Seattle Mariners are in the biggest spending phase, similar to a lot of other teams like I've mentioned and everybody's mentioned a hundred times. Major League Baseball teams have lost a lot of money because of what happened last year with the pandemic and a shortened season and no fans in attendance at Major League Baseball stadiums. You know, I wonder if he'd get the okay from ownership. But how about Trevor Bauer to the Seattle Mariners? And then I go to the National League West and I think of the Dodgers, not only the Dodgers, but the Giants. And I think those are two teams that – Especially the Dodgers, you can't rule them out for anything. I know they have a pretty good rotation, especially with the youngsters of May and Goslin. You know, you got Walker Bueller. You, of course, got Clayton Kershaw there, Julio Urias. You basically got five starters already. But, listen, the Dodgers are always looking for that, you know, extra significant starting pitcher. You know, it was Kershaw and Greinke for such a long time. I understand Bueller has moved up in regards to the respect that he's getting as one of the top pitchers in the National League. Once again, I don't think the Dodgers are a favorite, but I certainly wouldn't rule them out. The Giants, Farhan Zaidi, goes from the Dodgers to the Giants. I think he is building something there. They went out there, they signed Tommy LaStella to help them out in their middle infield. But I also look at their expectation, which I think is going to move up a little bit. A lot of people forget that the Giants just missed out on the playoffs last year. They were one of the last teams out when the Milwaukee Brewers ended up getting that last playoff spot. 
things may be a little different if all of a sudden we're looking at the Giants in year one with Gabe Kapler as their manager as a playoff team. And I do think they were that close. And if you look at the Rockies and you look at the Diamondbacks, I think the Giants are probably the third best team in that division. Obviously, the Padres have made large and huge steps to kind of closing the gap between them and the Dodgers. And the Padres are probably in a position where they are considered a team to beat. The Dodgers are the defending World Series champions and are bringing back a roster that is just about a carbon copy of what they had last year. Minus a couple players, minus a Kike Hernandez, minus a uh, potentially a Jock Peterson, uh, potentially a Justin Turner. But for the most part, the team is coming back. So the Dodgers are going to be the team to beat. But I think the Giants can bridge the gap if they get themselves another top starting pitcher in Trevor Bauer. And I, I never doubt that the money is there in San Francisco. Yes, they've struggled over the last couple of years. But when push comes to shove, they do have the money to go out there and make a splash. So the last team would be a shock to a lot of people, but may not surprise me that much. And that's the Miami Marlins and their need to kind of make themselves a splash too. a playoff team last year. I thought they would have been maybe a surprising dark horse candidate to bring back JT Romuto after they traded him to the Philadelphia Phillies. I think they're in a position where they can make a very bold move in bringing in Trevor Bauer. So I think if you're Bauer and if you're agent Rachel Luba, I think there are possibilities I don't think it's just the Mets are bust. And I think the Mets should look at it that way. They should stay firm to their ground of what they believe the player is worth. Maybe not go nuts. I don't think they're in a position where they're desperate and they need to spend 200 plus million to bring in Trevor Bauer. But if the Mets slip, if they stay firm at an offer that's less than 140 million over four years, I wouldn't be surprised if Bauer and Rachel Luba took those offers to these other six teams. And there is a possibility that Trevor Bauer may not be pitching for the New York Mets. As far as those that are up in arms over the fact that Bauer may uh, interfere with team chemistry, I think if he's signed by any team, not just the Mets, he's going to be under a microscope. He's a free-speaking individual. He's a person that's going to let his opinions be known. He's a person that could potentially be a distraction if you're looking at the team from a continuity standpoint. It's a possibility. If I'm assigning team of Trevor Bauer, I'm not letting that get in my way of making such signing. If I think he could be an upgrade to my team and my rotation, I'm taking a chance. And I'm not looking at Trevor Bauer, the teammate, Because Trevor Bauer, the teammate, if you ask Francisco Lindor, if you ask Carlos Carrasco, if you ask Corey Kluber, if you ask many of the teammates that he has had in the past, not just with Cleveland, but most recently with the Cincinnati Reds, they say that Trevor Bauer is a good teammate. So I'm not going to let any of what the media says as far as not liking Trevor Bauer or thinking he's too much of this, too much of that, getting in the way. I'm judging him as a pitcher. And yes, you know, he hasn't had the dominant last, you know, five or so years of a Jacob DeGrom, but he's been very good. Last couple, he's been solid. Last year, he was the best pitcher in the National League. And any team that brings him in should see some immediate results if they sign Trevor Bauer. I think the Mets at this point are still the favorites. 
but I wouldn't rule out the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Mariners, the Dodgers, the Giants, or the Marlins at this point. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame. The writers, unfortunately, and it's the way that it ends up turning out, it's not all the writers, it's not the entirety of the Baseball Writers Association of America, but they all look bad when you look at the quality of player that's left on the ballot, falling short and not getting 75% needed to be in the Hall of Fame. And you're looking at only the ninth year since the Baseball Hall of Fame started its voting that zero players were elected by the baseball writers. Of course, it's the ninth season that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Kurt Schilling have been on the ballot. They all have a possibility of coming back next year for a 10th year, though Schilling basically is fed up with the process. He doesn't want to be on the ballot. Now, does that mean that he is either not going to be on the ballot because he doesn't want to, or does it mean that because Jack O'Connell of, of the Baseball Writers Association, right, or heading the Hall of Fame or whatever he's doing, makes a statement and says that Basically, he has to be on the ballot. I don't know what's going to happen with it. The bottom line is that I don't know if there's enough ground to cover in the last year for Kurt Schilling. Now, he, he, fill, he finished 16 votes short. And he had, what, about 12 votes or 13 votes to what uh, more than what Bonds and what Clemens got. It's going to be very tough for Bonds or Clemens to build up more in regards to percentage in that final year on the ballot. I don't think there's anybody amongst those 14 writers that submitted blank ballots, which by the way, that's an embarrassment. You know, you, if, you, if you're at a point where you don't think there's Hall of Famers left, you know, it's one thing if there isn't, but there's Hall of Fame caliber players left. And you go 10 years from now or 20 years from now, there are players on this ballot that will be in baseball's Hall of Fame. Whether they get elected, whether it's a, a Todd Helton or a Billy Wagner or a Scott Rowland, I think all three of those players finished very favorably in the voting this year. They could get in through the baseball writers through the rest of the time that they have left. I think I think Rowland has got a very good chance. And like I said, Helton and Wagner, I wouldn't be shocked if they were selected by the baseball writers. But if you look at Bonds and you look at Clemens and you look at Manny Ramirez, Gary Sheffield, and Sammy Sosa. I think eventually baseball is going to correct this wrong and this oversight that exists. The Baseball Hall of Fame, which is set up to be this elite of the elite, is not for all the best players. And that's one of the things that's kind of embarrassing when we're talking about the Baseball Hall of Fame because you talk about Hall of Fames as they exist in other sports, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, you want to make sure that these sports did not forget about any of the great players that ever played in the history of its sport. And the NFL does a very good job of it because they have their, their list, their finalists of the players that you know, end up on it, on it every year. And they always, for the exception of very few oversights, will bring in or enshrine the best players and do its Hall of Fame. But they also go back to the past and they say, hey, is there somebody that played in the 60s or the 70s or even the 40s and the 50s that maybe we forgot about? And some research comes up 
And there always seems to be a player. So you don't go back in football history and say, hey, they forgot about players from this era. You talk about the players of now. And there's very few players that have been eligible that dominated over the course of the history of the sport that aren't in its respective Hall of Fame. The same thing you could say with basketball. But when it comes to baseball, it seems like the writers, and I think this is spearheaded by the baseball writers, I don't think all of them, you know, 61% of the baseball writers voted for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. So if I say all of them, I don't think I'm being accurate in my criticism. But I look at the voting process as a whole and wonder if it's counterproductive in what it was created to do. In other words, in 1936, when the first class of the Baseball Hall of Fame was put together, it was kind of a ring of honor of the greatest players that the game had ever seen. And when Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb and Hannes Wagner and Walter Johnson and Christy Matthewson were named in that first class of 1936, it was understood that they were five of the best players to ever play the game. Now, nobody dug into the past of Babe Ruth, who of course was a star that was bigger than a game. He participated and involved himself and did some things that if they happened in a year of 2020 or this generation would be frowned upon. Ty Cobb, even though there's been a book that has refuted any of the accusations of Ty Cobb being a racist, Ty Cobb had the tendency to not be such a good guy. Spikes up as he's trying to get that extra base. Um, going into the crowd and attacking that heckler that turned out he had no hands. There were things that happened over the course of Ty Cobb's career that may convince you that he might not have been the nicest guy. And over the history of baseball, baseball has enshrined many of those that may not exactly exhibit what we call the proper character clause. Kennesaw Mountain Landis was the first commissioner of baseball. Kennesaw Mountain Landis presided over baseball in a very controversial time after the 1919 Black Sox scandal and after the, the game had been disgraced by a group of players that basically sold themselves to gamblers and threw a World Series. Now, Landis put baseball back on its feet, but he wasn't necessarily a nice guy. He was, and Monty Irvin said this in, in my conversation with him, he, he, you know, Hall of Famer Monty Irvin of the Negro Leagues and the Newark Eagles and the Giants and part of their World Series championship team in 1954, you know, you know said this, that Kennesaw Mountain Landis was the connection between the Black Sox and Jackie Robinson becoming the first black player in 1947. In other words, if it wasn't for the Black Sox, Kennesaw Mountain Landis would not have been the commissioner. And if it wasn't for Kennesaw Mountain Landis as the commissioner of Major League Baseball, there would probably be black players playing in the major leagues before his death and certainly well before 1947 when Jackie Robinson played on April 15th. There's a connection there. 
And Kennesaw Mountain Landis does not represent. Certainly, if he was around right now, he probably wouldn't be inducted into Baseball's Hall of Fame because there would be a ton of backlash from people in alike that don't want somebody that is a proven racist to be honored in any sort of way. They took Landis's name off an award because of that reason. Nobody's thinking about taking Kennesaw Mountain Landis out of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Bud Selig provided over to steroids are. And if Bud Selig was on with me right now, we'd probably go point for point. And he tried to make the case that he tried to do everything he could, that maybe he didn't have the power. The Players Association carried all the power. But I think he had a lot more power available to him in a court of public opinion if he really wanted to do something about the use of performance enhancing drugs. Certainly in 1998, when the home run chase is going on between Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, and there's Bud Selig in a front row cheering him on because he's thinking about the revenue that's coming back from baseball. He's thinking about baseball as it's been struggling since the strike of 1994, and all of a sudden people are coming back because they want to see perhaps history happen right before their eyes. Bud Selig didn't do anything when McGuire and Sosa were bringing back baseball, all, all juiced up on steroids. Bud Selig retires. He goes into baseball's Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is a hypocrisy. It's basically a little gentleman's club, one that has existed for years, going back to the days of the old Giants players and the old Cardinals players that got in because the writers liked them. And even down to the ballots of this year when you got Bob Nightingale voting for LaTroy Hawkins because he liked them. Now, when it comes down to one player and one vote, I don't have as much of an issue with that. But you can see how that could snowball into a veterans committee where we're talking about 16 individuals that have the ability to put a player in the Hall of Fame or not. Harold Baines made it in a Hall of Fame because 12 of 16 men voted for him to be in. And that's how Red Shandy's got in. That's how Travis Jackson and Ross Young's got in. And many players alike, similar to those players, got in for those reasons. Now, I believe that baseball is eventually going to get this right. I'm not as angry as I was perhaps a couple years ago, maybe even eight years ago, nine years ago, when his first ballot came out and all these great players were on there and nobody got in. Because since then, nine players that didn't get in nine years ago have gotten in. I think the same will happen this time. Talking about the NFL, and I said I was going to bring up some quarterback situations in the NFL. You think about Philip Rivers retiring. You think of Matthew Stafford getting traded, which he will. Deshaun Watson is very likely to be out of Houston. He doesn't want to play there. He, say, he said he's played his last game there. He's tired of the whole thing. So this thought that there could be potentially 18 teams that could have new quarterbacks. I decided to divulge myself into it, and I went around the league, and I found 17 teams that are going to, at the very least, 
have a possibility that they are going to have a different quarterback next year. And I think of the AFC East. And once again, one of my biggest weaknesses is the ability to write stuff down and talk at the same time. And obviously, I am not very good at that whatsoever. But there is a lot of point is, is there's, there's a lot of talent amongst quarterbacks in the National Football League. And I think there are some teams that have defined themselves with the quarterback that they're going to have for years upon years. And I think if you look at Josh Allen and his growth, in spite of not leading the Bills to the Super Bowl, there's no doubt that he's going to be the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills next year. Baker Mayfield led the Browns with a great second half and certainly looks like he has a grip of that offense in Cleveland. Probably the best quarterback that the Browns have had in years. There's no doubt that Mayfield's going to be the starter with the Browns next year. Tua Tagliavoa, who you heard me talk a couple weeks ago about some of the anonymous reports about the players that may not have been so interested in playing for Tua. They didn't think he was a franchise type of quarterback. Maybe they felt a little more comfortable with the likes of Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. I don't think that's going to get in the way of Tua being the undisputed starter for the Miami Dolphins next year. You look at the Los Angeles Chargers, and yes, they have a new coach now, but it's not going to get in the way of Justin Herbert being the starting quarterback, not just for next year, but the future. I think that was one of the things that the Chargers figured out. Herbert getting a chance to play in the first week when he was expected to start the season as a backup. He came in and he led the team to a solid second half. There's no question that the Chargers are not going to be looking for a starting quarterback. I think of the likes of the Giants and Daniel Jones. Maybe they get somebody to push him a little bit, but game one, a healthy Daniel Jones is starting. You know, you think of the Lions who won't have Matthew Stafford, so you start thinking about the rest of the division, and you spend a couple minutes thinking about the Minnesota Vikings. Is Kirk Cousins coming back? I think it's a probable situation. I don't think the Vikings are looking to make a change there, but they, they do have to make some changes. You know, you're looking at a team that seemed like a almost a lock, especially when you add another wild card team to the mix to make the playoffs and they didn't last year to have one of the best running backs in the national football league in Dalvin cook, you know, could they consider a change at the quarterback position? But obviously it's all going to come down to the, the biggest name that's going to be mentioned. And that is Aaron Rodgers. And you think of Aaron Rodgers and how dominant he's been. He's going to be a first ballot hall of famer. He's may not have the reputation for being the winningest quarterback. Certainly had an opportunity to get to a Super Bowl and win one this year. The Pack lost to the Bucks in the NFC Championship game. Now, you take his comments in stride because what, what do we try to do? We want to get that immediate impulse reaction because you think that's reporting and reporting at its best, which I will tell you it's not. You, you, you may want a player – you know, doing what they love the most, what they aspire to do the most, and what they expect to do the most, and that in a situation is win, and they have a disappointment. 
something that didn't go their way. The clock goes from 60 minutes to zero, and their team is on the losing end of a game that they expected to win. And then we want to try to live on every single word that that person says in the heat of the moment. We want to stick a microphone in front of Aaron Rodgers before he walks off that field and take every word that he says 100% as how he feels. I think Aaron Rodgers needs some time to cool down. And I think you've already seen him walk back some of the comments when he's asked, hey, you expect to be in Green Bay next year? You expect me to start a quarterback? You expect, what do you expect next year? The guy's just coming off of an emotionally draining loss in a game he expected to win. I can't take what he says 100% at face value. Now, I'd be shocked if Aaron Rodgers is playing anywhere else but in Green Bay next year. Now, will Aaron Rodgers finish his career in Green Bay? I'm thinking very, it's unlikely. Not very unlikely, it's getting to a point where it's unlikely. I see a similar situation that happened with him and Brett Favre. Brett Favre finished in his career with a couple other teams, and Aaron Rodgers became the starter and, of course, the star. Now, that's assuming that Jordan Love is what the Green Bay Packers expected him to be when they took him in the first round of the draft last year. I think they're going to have a smooth transition. They'll go from Rodgers to Love at some point, and Rodgers will end up finishing his career somewhere else. I'd be shocked if Aaron Rodgers was playing anywhere else next year. Because if that happens, then I think this whole possibility of 15 teams with new quarterbacks next year may end up being a lot more. And obviously, you think of New England. The Cam Newton experiment didn't work out too well. Maybe Matthew Stafford's a good fit there. The Colts, Jacoby Brissett was their starter. Then they went with Phillip Rivers for one year. Brissett's still there. Did they give him a shot? Do they get in the mix maybe for a Matt Ryan if the Atlanta Falcons are looking to make a change there? Maybe Arthur Smith wants a fresh quarterback, a young quarterback. Maybe he wants to go into the draft and take somebody. I don't know. Maybe Arthur Blank, the owner, it, you know, looks at the Matt Ryan era and as good as it was, which culminated in a near Super Bowl win, a 28-3 lead in a Super Bowl, may not be worth anything more. And if Matt Ryan leaves and you start looking at some other possibilities throughout the league, maybe a Kirk Cousins, you know, you could see a drastic amount of changes amongst NFL quarterbacks. And I think it'd be kind of crazy to see. As always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and Mother Satan Academy in Jackson, New Jersey. By two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We started a show today talking about Trevor Bauer. And from a process of elimination, it would lead from a conventional wisdom standpoint to think that the Mets are probably in the driver's seat when it comes to the favorites to land the former Indians and Cincinnati Reds pitcher and the National League Cy Young Award winner last year. I think there's going to be other teams that are still in the mix. I think when you look at a player that is that talented, you look at a player that can make that much of an impact. And I think Bauer is an impact type of player. I'm not going to divulge into his stats three years ago because I think he has developed. He's become better as the last couple seasons have, have, have passed. 
was at his best last year. Yes, in a truncated 60-game season. You could talk about Mickey Mouse Cy Young Award winner, yada, yada, yada. You could talk about um, the fact that he opens his mouth a lot. He may be a distraction. I, I get that, but he's still a hell of a pitcher. And there's going to be multiple possibilities. So I throw some teams out there, the Blue Jays, the White Sox, the Mariners, the Dodgers, the Giants, and even the Miami Marlins. That could be possibilities for Trevor Bauer and his agent, Rachel Luba, to pivot to if the Mets don't give him a contract that he is comfortable with. This dream of one year and $38 million, I don't think it's going to happen unless he, he decides that he feels the free agent market is better next year and he can land a more lucrative deal. But I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think a two-year deal is going to happen. I think you're still looking at about a four-year deal, five-year deal, something like that, with an opt-out. The opt-out could be after year one. And if he does opt-out, then he's got a chance to do free agency all together next offseason. But I think it's going to be in a four- or five-year range. And the question is, are the Mets comfortable with making that type of offer? Remember, they have not paid a player more than, what, $138 million, I think, over the course of a contract, or $136 million. I think it's $138 with the David Wright extension. So they've not given a contract that's longer than that. Now, they if you speak to people that claim that they know what's going on, you feel enough confidence that Francisco Lindor is going to get an extension from the Mets that's probably going to double that. So there's going to be a new... Uh, a new level set in regards to the highest contract in the history of the New York Mets franchise. And it's probably going to Francisco Lindor. So if Trevor Bauer were to surpass that $138 million contract that David Wright got, which by the way, was what over eight years, right? He's going to do that in maybe about half the time. You're talking about a record contract that probably won't last for very long. So if you're talking about Trevor Bauer making more than Jacob DeGrom, I don't think Jacob DeGrom cares about that that much if it means that the Mets have a better team. And it's not like he's going to go out there and make you know twice the amount of what Jacob DeGrom gets. Jacob DeGrom agreed to a good contract, and he agreed to an extension knowing that the value of starting pitchers could potentially go up over the next series of years. You don't hear the likes of Max Scherzer or uh, Clayton Kershaw or Chris Sale, or other pitchers that signed long-term extensions in the past all of a sudden want to renegotiate be- while they're still under contract. It does happen, but it doesn't happen very often. So the possibility that the Mets could sign Trevor Bauer, I believe they are in the best position at this moment. I would also put them very much in the mix when it comes to anywhere of a number of trades that could be out there. I'll throw out a couple proposals. I like Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins. Now, the question is going to be, would the Minnesota Twins be in a a position to want to trade Buxton? The expectations are that the Twins are supposed to be shooting for the American League Central again in the 2021 season. Why would they want to trade one of their best all-around players? A great defensive player, a guy with some speed, maybe not the ability to steal bases, but is very quick and is one of the better center fielders in all of Major League Baseball as a defensive player. Why would you want to move that if you're the Twins? And I'd say if you're going to engage with the Twins in a trade like that, you'd want to make an offer of something that's worth it to the Twins. 
and I'd start with Brandon Nimmo, and then I'd give the Twins a choice of Dom Smith or Pete Alonso. Now, Mets fans like, oh my God, why would you consider doing that? Now, that may not, that may have uh, moved the pendulum in the Twins' favor, but I think that gets the Twins at least thinking about it. And if you want to bring in the best defensive center fielder, in my opinion, in all Major League Baseball, then I think you're going to have to go out there and pay for it. Now, one thing that this would do, now you may say, oh my God, I can't believe you're thinking about trading Dom Smith or Pete Alonso, especially when you know there's no certainty that there won't be a DH in the National League in 2021. I say this, you go out there, you make the trade for Buxton. And let's say it's Dom Smith and not Pete Alonso. I think more people will be up in arms if the Mets traded Pete Alonso two years off of a season where he set a National League, or I'm sorry, he set a, a Mets franchise record and a rookie record for most home runs in a season with 53. So let's say it's Brandon Nimmo and Dom Smith. They go to the Twins. The Twins are okay with it. Maybe you throw in a prospect a, a young pitcher from somewhere that, you know, whatever. I don't care what his name is. He goes to the Twins. The Mets get Byron Buxton. Let's say you pivot to a Marzello Zuna. And you have Buxton in center and Marzello Zuna in, in left and Michael Conforto in right. All of a sudden, you have a really good offensive team and you're sure defensively up the middle with McCann and Lindor and Buxton. I kind of like that. I'll throw a, a second scenario at you. The possibility of the Mets making a deal with trader Jerry Depoto and the Seattle Mariners. Now, I would think the same type of return would go back to the Seattle Mariners. I think something along the lines of a Nimmo and a Smith to the Seattle Mariners. Maybe I have to add a little more, but I'm targeting 2020 AL Rookie of the Year, Kyle Lewis, as a center fielder in return. Now, I'm also taking on the last year of a contract in regards to Kyle Seeger at third base with an option for the 2022 season. So I'm getting Kyle Lewis and I'm getting Kyle Seeger solidifying center field and third base in exchange for the projected center fielder for the Mets in Brandon Nimmo, which we know he's not a true center fielder, and Dom Smith, who is the projected starting left fielder, who is really a first baseman. I kind of like that deal a little better. You know, Lewis, obviously, all the years of control that he'd have, and he'd still have Seager for a couple years. He's a good defensive third baseman. He's a guy that's going to hit 20 to 28 home runs a season, and you put him in a solid lineup in a place where he's going to produce some runs. I like that. And then that leaves the possibility of going out there and signing an Ozuna to play left field. I think there's many possibilities in regards to the New York Mets. And one thing that I'll say, I think this offseason is very far from over. This is the Passball Show. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We'll be back with you this Saturday for another episode. You can check out the Passball Show if you haven't subscribed to the podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, or Amazon Music. You, of course, can subscribe to my channel on YouTube. Like I said, we'll be back with you Saturday, Thursdays, and Saturdays in the morning throughout the year of 2021. God bless you. And as always, I see you on the other side.